somebody else. I want to be able to see the one who's leading us into battle. And so the Lord uh, granted their, their desire. He let them have a king, and that king's name was Saul. Saul started out as a humble guy, a guy who didn't really think he deserved to be king, a guy who didn't really think he had it all together. And, and so he relied on the Lord. But through time, and as he, the victories mounted for Saul, he began to become his greatest fan. And that led him further and further down the road where ultimately the Lord, because of, of Saul's inability to wait on God, God said to him, hey, you know what? You're not my king. I'm going to look for a guy who's a, after my own heart, a man after God's own heart. The Lord said, you don't have a heart after me. That's Saul's number one problem. I mean, look at Saul. There's a lot of sin. There's issues. Hey, which of us doesn't have sin? Which of us don't have issues? All of us have that. The issue is he was not a man after God's own heart. And that's the kind of people God is looking for. And sometimes when we consider that, we think, well, that's David. You know, David is a man after God's own heart. He's way up here somewhere. No, he's not. Because David is a sinner just like the rest of us. And he had issues just like we do. And he failed just like we do. The difference is, David cared about the Lord and the things of the Lord. And Saul cared about his own press and how he looked to people. And he didn't care how he looked to the Lord. And that really is the dividing line between a man after his own heart and a man after God's own heart. The Bible says, fear of man is a snare, right? If that's our motivation, we're really taking after Saul. If fear of man is our motivation, that was Saul. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's really those who would take after David, the fear of the Lord. Those who care about how what they're doing, what they're saying, how they're walking their lives, how that is looked at by the Lord. That's being a man after God's heart. And that's who the Lord is looking for. But in chapter 15, God gives Saul a second chance in essence. He gives Saul another opportunity to do right. How many of us have had more than one chance? Most of us, right? Most of us. Most of us. Thank God for the, for the grace of God and that, that's poured out on us. And so the Lord has given Saul that, another opportunity. An opportunity to, to do right. An opportunity to do well. An opportunity to succeed. And he gives us all that same opportunity. And I think as we go down the, our walk of life... I think for every one of us, there comes a time just like there was for Saul. Where God says, you're just not going to be the man. You're just not going to, to relent. You're just not going to allow me to rule, allow, allow me to reign. You don't want to walk in my ways. So the Lord would raise up another king. Sometimes we look at that and we think it's harsh. Here's, here's one of the things I want you to hold on to. When God, at the end of chapter 15, he's going to say he's finished with Saul. It was 25 more years before God removed him. The Bible says that God is long-suffering, not desiring that any should perish. God is saying, in essence, Saul, you're never going to turn. But he waited 25 more years before he removed Saul. 
in the end, when Saul had his moment, his time to stand before the Lord, he's not going to have any excuses. Lord, you never gave me opportunity. Had 25 years to turn it around. Saul had exactly what we all have. Saul had one and only one life to live before God. And we all have that same opportunity. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Every single one of us in this room is going to experience the exact same thing. Our moment. We're all going to be guaranteed one moment. Nobody else, just us. Me and the Lord. Me before the Lord. I'm going to get that moment and I'm going to get it only one time in all of eternity where I'm going to have the opportunity to hear God say, Welcome home or well done, good and faithful servant. And on that day, it's too late to say, what else would I give to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? That's my one time, my one shot, my one moment. And we all get the same thing, one life. However long it is, long or short, doesn't make any difference. We all get the same, one life to live out before the Lord with an opportunity to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Or the opportunity to hear the words, welcome home. Hey, you made it. You're here. But there's only one shot. That's the life we have here. If we follow after the example of Saul, and we are a king of our own existence, and we are a man after our own heart and our own desires, then we'll hear what Saul heard. If we're a man like David, not perfect, not always good, didn't always do the right thing, but he cared about how things looked to the Lord. And when it was time to own up and confess his sins before the Lord, he was able to do so and say, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. Father, forgive me. Then we'll hear what David heard. That's the only division to me between a man after his own heart And a man after the Lord's. And as we look at these chapters, 13, 14, and 15, really, in essence, are like Romans 1, 2, and 3. Romans 1, 2, and 3 tell us the downward spiral of man. Uh, uh, 1 Samuel uh, 13, 14, and 15 tell us the downward spiral of Saul. Same issues. Just in 1 Samuel, we see the example as it works in the life of a man. Chosen by God, gifted by God, anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, Saul had everything he needed to succeed. And for you and I, we all have. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've called upon the name of the Lord and said, Lord, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Then you are equipped to be a man or woman after God's own heart. The choices are are laid out in the life we live. And the things that we do and how we go. In in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Hey, Samuel said, listen, okay, we had this issue back in chapter 13. You were impatient. You wouldn't wait on the Lord. And the Lord said, you're not a man after his own heart, so he's going to seek a man who is after his own heart. But listen, here, you are anointed. You are the king. You are the chosen one right now. So therefore, listen to the voice of the Lord. Obey his 
words. Verse 1 tells us the key. The key that God is looking for in our life is a very simple understanding. That to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. A lot of people live their life however they want. And we all know people like this. Live their life however they want. They come to church. They write a big check. They, they, get a, they, they, they really get behind different things. And they try to somehow pay for the inconsistencies in their life. And they try to make sacrifice. And they try to do good things. But God's word says to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of lambs. And God is saying, listen, just, just do what I ask you to do. Just be who I want you to be. Don't worry about that other stuff. Just be who I've called you to be. Not perfect. Just a man after my own heart. Someone who says, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be who God wants me to be. That's it. Man or woman after God's own heart. So, so he says here, obey. Here, listen to what God's saying to you. Now, how many of us know that what God calls us to do is not always easy? If you're thinking that obeying God is always going to be easy, you're going to be frustrated most of your Christian walk. <clears throat> obeying God is not always easy, but it is always good. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we struggle to understand. Sometimes we struggle to really get a, a, a firm grasp on what God's wanting us to do. But the truth is, even though it's not always easy, it is always good. It's always good what God has for our life. And the walk that God would have us take and the word that God would have us listen to. Well, here's the word that God gave to Saul. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. For what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. So I want you to go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Sometimes God's word for our life is not always easy but the word of god tells us that the almighty always does right now our question we look at it and we say how can this possibly be what you want god how can this possibly be what you want and we cannot see the way god sees because you and i we believe that death is real and heaven is a pie in the sky. And we got it backwards. Death is a lie. And heaven is real. Scripture tells us that the little ones, the angels that watch over them, always see the face of God. Scripture tells us that uh, the believing, uh, believing parents sanctifies the young, but nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that the young of two unbelieving isn't sanctified. It just tells us that they are sanctified with a believing parent. And that's the importance of a, a man or woman who is unequally yoked of staying in the home if, if, if they're able to do so. 
the subject is not whether or not or what is the place of children. Let me tell you, perhaps the infant and the nursing child, their only chance to spend eternity with God is the Israelites going in and wiping them out. What? Yeah. Maybe their only chance. I call that mercy. I call it mercy when God takes the life of a young who would spend eternity in hell any other way. And God says, you take them. We don't have the mind of God. We don't understand the way he, we see the way we see. We see, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's such a horrible thing. But to God, death is not a horrible thing. Death has been vanquished. The Lord says, death, where is your victory? Where is the sting of death? The sting of death is sin, and Jesus Christ has paid the price for that. This is God's mercy tied with God's judgment. There is judgment for sin. You know, the Amalekites got on God's bad side 400 years prior to this judgment. 400 years before this judgment, the Amalekites attacked the back of Israel. Exodus chapter 17, the Lord tells Moses, Amalek is cursed and I will judge him. And the Lord waited 400 years because the long-suffering of God desires that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But for 400 years, the Amalekites remained on the path that they were, had chosen 400 years earlier. And God said, payday has come. And he wants to wipe out every living thing. He says to Saul, don't take anything. Obliterate it all. Don't pick up a t-shirt. Don't grab a pen laying in the ground. Obliterate it all. Because God wants us, Saul, children of Israel, and the rest of the world that's watching to understand that the judgment of God is not a good thing. It's a harsh thing. From a holy God against sin... But there's no joy, there's no happiness in the judgment of God. And that's an important concept as we go through this chapter to really grasp and understand. The Amalekites throughout Scripture become a picture, a type. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this concept. He, he's the one who gives it to us. He says that there are types, pictures in the Scripture. That means there are events that happen that become a, an example of other things. The Amalekites become an example of our flesh. And when we consider the Amalekites as an example of our flesh and how our flesh is, is constantly at war with our spirit and how our flesh needs to be dealt with. It doesn't need to be coddled. It doesn't need to be, it needs to be cut out. Give no inch to the flesh. None. Wipe it out utterly and, and totally. And that becomes a real picture of what God is calling Saul to in chapter 15. The Amalekites, they, they committed a terrible sin. They killed the weak. 
They attacked from behind. They did it with no provocation and no reason, except hatred toward the Lord and His people. So God promised, I will judge. He waited 400 years, and His judgment came. Verse 4, it says, So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. That's a big army. Big army. Big army to accomplish what God's called him to do. And so Saul came to the city of Amalek, and he lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Listen, here Saul does a great thing. He's coming. The judgment of the Lord is only against the Amalekites. The Kenites, you want to know who they are? They're the, they're the kin of Jethro. Jethro, you know, the father-in-law of Moses. So he, these are his kin. And they're, they're dwelling in the same place. So Saul says, hey, Kenites, you guys need to go. Get out of the city. The judgment's not against you. The judgment is against those who, who are in rebellion against the Lord, apart from him. And so they leave. And in verse 7, Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the ox and the fatlings and the lamb, everything that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. In Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. God had said, everything is cursed. It's all bad. But Saul and the people decided they could tell what was good. They could tell what wasn't bad. They could say, you know, not all of this is bad. Some of it is good. Some of it can be used. Some of it can can be joyous. And I want you to think about this. Because the judgment of God, God says, I have no joy in the destruction of the wicked. None. That's why the Bible tells that God is long-suffering, desiring that none would perish, that the Lord waits those 400 years for something to change in a people to turn back, to come out, to repent. But when it doesn't happen and that judgment comes, God doesn't want there to be a party in the judgment of God. So he tells Saul and the people, don't take nothing. But instead, the people went and they brought, they they picked and chose who died, who didn't die. They did not kill all the Amalekites. They saved Agag, among others. Whatever they thought was bad, they slaughtered. Whatever they thought was good, they left. And they came back to the camp rejoicing. 
Because that soldier came back thinking, hey, right on, this worked out really good. Look, I, look at all these cool sheep I got. Look at this camel. Look at the gold I found. Look at the things I got from the battle. And they were stoked about that judgment of God. And God doesn't want us to be stoked about judgment. He wants us to be stoked about mercy. He wants us to be stoked about repentance. He wants us to be stoked about those good things, the grace of God, but definitely not ever about his judgment. He doesn't want us to celebrate because love does not rejoice in iniquity. And God is love. Full sections of the scripture are devoted to the truth and the reality that God is love. And he doesn't want his people rejoicing when someone else has the judgment of God befall them. It is a somber thing. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Not something to be rejoiced over. And so God had told him, I don't want you to rejoice over it. I don't want you to celebrate. I don't want you to take anything. Obliterate it all. Wipe it all out. But they didn't. They didn't. So often in Saul's life, as a, as a king, as a man after his own heart, he would substitute saying for doing Sometimes when we, we want to know, who am I? Am I a man after God's heart or am I a man after my own heart? And ask yourself these questions. Do I substitute saying for doing? Saul says he obeyed the Lord. But he didn't do that. He didn't. He didn't fulfill what God said. Saul makes excuses rather than confessing his sin. Am I a man after my own heart? Or a man after God's? Do I make excuses? It's my mom's fault. Oh, my parents were lousy. You know, it's a neighborhood I grew up in because everybody in that neighborhood was like this. It's the environment. It's my parents. It's all this other stuff. All these other things. Do we make excuses or do we just confess? Do we just say, you know what? I was wrong. Saul made excuses. Everything in his life was someone else's fault. And finally, he was more concerned with his reputation than his character before God. He was more concerned with his reputation before men than his character before God. That's the formula, if there is such a thing, for a man or woman after their own heart, who does not care about the things of God. That's the formula for Esau. That's a formula for Saul. It's a formula for Ishmael. It's a formula for someone who allows their flesh to rule and does not allow the spirit. Care about my reputation before men, but not my character before God. God's not fooled by reputation, right? He doesn't care what everybody thinks you are. He knows what you are. What you've done, who you are, where you are. But that's where Saul was, man. That's where Saul was. And that's why it was so easy for him not to obey. And then, you know, the the end of the verse, in verse 9, where it says, But everything despised and worthless. They destroyed, but they kept everything good. But God said none of it was good. Woe to you. 
who calls good evil and evil good. That's the world we live in right now, isn't it? The world that calls good evil and evil good. I see it every time I turn on the news, every time I listen to a politician talk, every time I hear what somebody has to say, what's going on, especially in this time, you know, um, the world that we're in is substituting bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter and giving it to us to drink and telling us, oh, no, it's really good. No, it ain't. It ain't good, and I am not buying it. It's garbage. It's garbage. Well, here, they, they were making the decision for God, and so they kept these things. Well, listen, in verse 10, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. And that is sad. To hear God say, I regret ever making Saul king. God's not surprised. This is our ability. We, this is what's called an anthropomorphism in the Bible. What's that mean? It's subscribing human terms to God to, to help understand what God's saying here. But the idea for us is that you know God is regretting. He's like, man, Saul... What did Jesus say about Judas? Been, been better, he'd never been born. Been better, he'd never been born. But nonetheless, he was. And those are the choices that he made. Brought him to that place. Here, the same, the very same thing the Lord is saying about Saul. He says, For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. I'm curious when the last time we done that. When's the last time I did that? Cried all night. Cried out to God all night. Samuel loved Saul. God loved Saul. And when Samuel saw that, that, that Saul utterly failed again, he's messed up again, and, and the Lord is saying, man, I'm sorry that I ever set him up on the throne. And Samuel cried. He wept for Saul, and he cried out to the Lord all night long. We've been talking about the last couple of times. What does it mean to, to seek the Lord? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? talk to a lot of people and they'll say to me, Jack, you know, I'm struggling with this or that or, or what direction to go in my life and I've prayed about it and I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, listen, Samuel cried out to God all night long. He didn't pray for five minutes and then wait for something to happen. He sought the Lord. David sought the Lord. We're called to seek the Lord that way. And I think, I think sometimes, I am guilty. I'm, the, I'm preaching to the choir. I do the same stuff. I think, I'm going to say this prayer. And I'm going to pray for this. And I, and I think about the people before. Not, not saying that it would have made a difference, maybe necessarily, how I pray. But I know people who were sick that I prayed for. And I pray for them every day. But never one time was I moved by the... By, by compassion and a desire to see God move, where I cried out to the Lord all night long. 
I shared on Sunday night, Jim Cimbala, when he wrote the book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, his kids was, was messed up. I don't remember exactly the whole story, but the basic premise is he reached a point where he just, all he could do was groan. He had a prayer, called a prayer meeting, couldn't even say words. He just, he just was groaning, but they groaned and cried out to God hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. They didn't have anything else they could do or say. And that's seeking God. And I think sometimes we sell the Lord short because, you know, at the, at the men's retreat, Brian Daly shared two things. I, I really like both of the things he said. One, God desires to be sought. And perhaps some of the ex- things that are happening in our life, some of the struggles, some of the concepts, is solely to get us to fulfill that first. God wants us to seek him the second thing he wants to be found and reveal himself to you it's not like god is just like running just outside of your ability to reach going no 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 can't catch me that's not god man god wants to reveal his will for your life god wants to direct you he wants to direct me he wants to guide me he wants to speak to me he wants to reveal his will he wants to give me discernment he wants to guide every step but he wants to be sought I think that's sometimes where we fall short. Me too. He wants to be sought. Here the, the Samuel, I just love this part of Samuel. Say there's, Saul's done. He's done. He's reached that point of no return. You know, the last time that, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart and then God confirms his decision. He's there. He's done it. It's finished. But Samuel loved Saul and he cried out to the Lord all night long. Let me tell you this, just as a side note. The rest of Samuel's life, he will never stop mourning and praying for Saul. rest of his life in the next chapter god's going to say how long are you going to mourn for this guy get up let's go do something that's that's how vested samuel was and as a church the church especially in the united states we're not that vested we call a national day of prayer and we'll pray that day And we call prayer meetings and we'll get together and we pray. But as a body, tell me what happens in our nation. What happens in our world? What happens in our community if we commit like that? If we commit that and say, you know, I'm going to that, I'm, I'm going to seek the Lord that way. Will we understand God's will in our life? Will we know the direction He wants us to take? Will we know where He wants us to go? I believe we will. I believe that he wants to show us those things. But he wants us to go after him for all we are. Samuel cried out to the Lord all night. Verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed he set up a monument for himself. So listen, there's a lot of time passing i, I kind of want, want you to get that idea the battle doesn't happen and then and then samuel just gets there like the next day no 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 samuel hears from the lord that saul has done this thing he cries out to god all night long 
He's seeking the Lord, and then he gets up to go to where Saul is. But Saul's not where the battle took place anymore. He went around up Carmel. Now, several days' journey up to the top of Carmel, and then he built a monument. How long did that take? I don't know. You know, they didn't have Home Depot. They didn't just go pick up the materials and build the little statue. It's going to take time. So they spend some time there on Carmel, and he builds this monument to himself because he's so great. Does this even resemble the Saul from the beginning? The Saul who was like, oh man, I don't even know how I could be king. Who was so small in his own eyes and so humble. Now he's building monuments to himself. Hey, we always have to be careful for that because we all desire to be great at what we do, don't we? We all do. And part of being wanting to be great at what you do is, is hearing that you're great from other people or maybe... You know, having your name in lights or, or doing an album or making a CD or, I don't know, there's a hundred things. Hey, all I had to do to realize I never wanted to make a CD was make a CD once. That was a nightmare, man. Oh, it would be so cool to go into the studio. No, it ain't cool at all. It is not cool at all, man. It was... They put these headphones on your head and you sit in this little silent room and you got your guitar and amp in there and you, you get the exact sound you want and then every little thing that you could do wrong is amplified 10 million times and it takes you forever to do the simplest thing. And I, I spent a full day in the studio doing a worship CD and then I finished that one and said, never call me for this stuff again. Because making a CD is nothing like worship at all. Worship, man, that's, that's free. What happens, happens. You, you, you lay it out before the Lord. It's your gift to Him, honoring Him. That's a beautiful thing. Making a CD, man, that's for somebody else. That ain't for me. What a nightmare. Sometimes, though, you think, this is what I want. This is the level I want to achieve or what I want to attain unto. And so Saul goes and he builds himself a memorial. Wow, what a great plan. Who gave Saul the victory? Saul and his wisdom? The Lord gave him the victory. Did he build a monument to the Lord? No. He built a monument to himself. And then he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. So we're talking a significant period of time has passed. The battles won. They went up to Carmel, built this big old monument, and patted each other on the back. And then they came down the other side of, Gil, of, of Carmel, down into the valley of Jezreel, back over to Gilgal. Long time has passed. And so, Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. <laughs> whatever, whatever. We're so dumb sometimes. Listen, serving God requires doing the will of God the right way, the right time, with the right motive. The right way, the right time, and the right motive. If we do something so that we will be seen by man, Jesus said, we have your reward. You have it. I remember what, see, the way Bible college works when I went through Bible college, Bible college was cheap. 
It was cheap because you were slave labor. What do you mean? Everything that was accomplished at the church was done through the efforts of Bible college students. Every time the whole thing needed to be tore down or put back up. What was it? Bible college students. When the bathrooms needed to be cleaned, who did it? Bible college students. When the floors needed to be buffed, when the trash needed to be took out, who did it? Bible college students. You didn't have to have any janitorial service at all. What? Church work days. You didn't have to have a church work day. What did you do? Called Bible college students. Bible college students, come over. We need to go to the dump. We need to haul this trash away. You learned to serve. And real quick, doing all that stuff, you found out who was fit for the ministry and who wasn't. Because if it bugs you to have to clean a toilet, you're missing the whole point. (laughs) Ministry. Minister is a fancy word for slave. It's the same word in the Greek. Oh, we like, we like that men. I'm a minister of the gospel. It means I'm a slave. I'm a servant. And the highest point of service is to serve. Jesus, almighty God, didn't come to be served, but to serve. Isn't that what the scripture says? So we cannot ever be satisfied without serving God. Without serving in some capacity. Without doing something as unto the Lord. We can't. It's, it's empty. We've got to serve. And it has been said, the test of a servant is what happens when you get treated like one. Hey, when you get done mopping out there, you go vacuum that room back there. Hey, you know who you're talking to? You know, I don't get paid to be here. You're either serving or you ain't. If it bugs you, it points to a deeper issue. Well, you know, I, I used to come and do a lot of stuff, but you know what? I was, I was coming and cleaning the church all the time, and not one time in the 10 years that I cleaned the church did Jackie ever come to me and tell me thank you. So forget that. I ain't going to do not a cotton-picking thing for them no more. They're ungrateful people. Jesus said, yeah, Jesus said, if they come to you and they sing your praises, if you want me to, I'll come every time you do something and tell you how great you are. But Jesus said, then you got your reward. The praise of man or the praise of God, which do you want? I want, remember, one time and only one. And I want want to hear more than anything else in my life, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. More than anything else. Well, the simple question is, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to set aside? What are you willing to get rid of? What would you change? What would you do in order to have that, to to see those things? But here Saul comes and he says, oh, I've done everything that the Lord told me to do. Really? Did you do what God said the right time, the right way, with the right attitude? Hmm. I don't think so. Well, let's see what happens. So Samuel said, well, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? I mean, it's pretty obvious that you didn't do it because um, when you left, you didn't have no sheep. And you didn't have no oxen. And you didn't have no camels. And you didn't have a bunch of gold. And you didn't have... And I look around and I say, man, you guys got a lot of sheep. You got a lot of oxen. 
You got a lot of stuff. I don't know. Where, where did this come from? And look what Saul does. I told you, the attitude of Saul was never like David. When David was confronted with his sin, he fell on his face before God and said, Have mercy on me, a sinner. But when Saul is faced with his sin, what's the sound I hear? Nathan said to David, You're that man. Immediately, David's going to repent. He's a murderer. He's a sinner. Every bit as guilty as Saul. The difference is Saul's going to say, uh, they did it. Look at it. Look at it. He says, so Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Well, I thought he was your God too, Saul. The people did it. And then he tries to make it sound. He puts a little spiritual spin on it. As a sacrifice to God, we kept them. Well, where's the altar at? Well, they don't have an altar. Well, you just come from Carmel. You didn't sacrifice on Carmel. What'd you do there? Built a monument to yourself. Wow. That sounds like Pharaoh, don't it? Building altars, building monuments to yourself. Oh, they did it. It's the people. The people spared the best. Who did the people follow? Saul. And we know, in the very least, Saul spared Agag, the king. And the people saw it. And as soon as Saul made his compromise, so did they. Because whatever the commander-in-chief does, the rest are going to follow. Well, that's what took place. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Now this is nice. This is Bible speak for what he really said. Shut up. Apparently that's bad. So you're not allowed to say that. So they write, be quiet. But that's not what he said. Shut. Just shut your mouth. And then he said, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. So he said, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? What did he say? When you were little in your own eyes. Saul means anointed. Uh, has the idea of, of big another Saul in the Bible. Remember, he was persecuting the church. And uh, as he's persecuting the church and he's doing all these things, he's trying to do service to God, you know, and he's wiping out the Christians. The Lord meets him in Damascus and he shines a light and he introduces Saul to himself. And everything in Saul's life changed. Well, Saul was faced with a choice. He could say, um you know, whatever, and do whatever he wanted to. Or he could say, what do you want me to do? That's what he said. What do you want me to do, Lord? You're Lord. What do you want? And the Lord said, I'm going to show you all the things you must suffer for me. A lot of people think Saul there got off easy. God made a special circumstance for Saul and saved him. I'm not sure he got off easy. You got to read some of the things Saul went through. I'll show you all the things that you will suffer for me. But 
Saul was glad, but he took his name, Saul, anointed, a big guy, big man on campus, and he changed his name to Paul, which means little one, little guy, nobody special. See, he went the right direction. He knew his namesake and what he had done. He was little in his eyes at one time, but he became full of himself, building monuments of himself. But when he was little in his own eyes, he was okay. Listen, just, just turn with me to the book of James real quick. James chapter 4. We get to Hebrews and keep going right. You get to Revelation, stop, go back. <clears throat> James chapter 4, verse 10 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, same thing that we were talking about on Sunday morning, when, when Jesus sat a little child in their midst, little child, tiny, somewhere between infant and toddler, and they're all arguing about who's the greatest, who's the greatest, who's the greatest. And Jesus said a little child in their midst and said, unless you become like this little child, you'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That little child's not sitting there going, who's the greatest? That little child is a picture of humility. Just a little child. Can't do anything for itself. Can't make any money, can't build a house, can't provide for itself, can't even necessarily feed himself. But it has to rely totally and completely on someone else. See, that's the way Saul was at the beginning. Had to totally rely on the Lord. Now, he'd become big in his own eyes and he totally relying upon his own self. In verse 18, he says, Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. What? Man, there is no greater delusion than self-delusion. No greater deception than self-deception. That's why the Lord said, do not deceive yourself. I have obeyed the Lord. What are you talking about? That's a bold-faced lie. You have not obeyed in any sense of the word. He says, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. Oh, that was one of the commandments? Well, make sure you bring back the king, right? Oh, wait a minute. That wasn't one of them. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Hmm. Well, if Saul had been obedient to the Lord, there would be one book in the Bible that wouldn't be there. The book of Esther. The book of Esther would never have been written because Haman would never have lived. Haman, you know, the guy who almost destroyed the entire nation of Israel. Oh, he was an Amalekite. 
oh, I killed all the Amalekites. Really? Then where did Haman come from? Divine intervention? I don't think so. I have killed them all. The only one left is Agag. It's a lie. It's a lie. Listen, David later dealt with the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 27 and 1 Samuel 30 and 2 Samuel 8. The Amalekites were still around. He did not do what God told him to do. He did not do what the Lord said. Haman, the man who tried to wipe out all the Jewish people and almost succeeded in obliterating the nation of Israel, was an Amalekite. Read about it in Esther chapter 3 verse 1. And Saul himself is going to die from the final pierce of a sword by the hand of an Amalekite. Oh, I did utterly destroy them. No, you didn't. You didn't. You kept Agag alive for one. But then look what he does in verse 21. He points the blame to somebody else. But the people took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen and the best of things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God, not mine, in Gilgal. See, people today still do the same stuff. Cannot take responsibility for your own self. I'm this way because my mom and dad were, didn't love me enough. Or I'm this way because of the place I grew up. Or the way people treated me in school. And we baloney. You're that way because you are totally and completely wrought in sin. Born in sin. That's why you're that way. That's why I'm that way. I used to tell my wife forever. I teased, I, when we first were married, the family I grew up in, we teased each other. It's what we did. And we didn't do it to show each other we loved each other. We did it because we hated each other. And we wanted to make each other miserable. I don't know if you came from a family like that, but that's the kind of family I come from. And if we don't watch ourselves now, every one of us are believers now. If we don't watch ourselves, when we get together, we fall into the same stuff. Because that's who we are. So I treat my wife like that. And she would just get hopping mad. And she would tell me, you are the rudest person I've ever known. Well, Listen, this is just who I am. You ever said that? This is just who I am. I was this way when you married me. Yeah? You were that way when God found you too. Doesn't mean that's how he wants you to stay. God wants to do something different. He wants you to have a life that glorifies him. We can blame a hundred things. It's, all it is, is... Put in the blame where it doesn't belong. It belongs with me. I am a sinner. I am not good. Oh, you know, every time somebody tells me somebody's a good person, it just, the hair on the back of my neck pops up. No, they ain't a good person. I mean, they're good to you. They're nice to you. Great. The Bible says there is none good. No, not one. How many does that mean? Oh, that doesn't mean there's not any good people. When the guy came to Jesus, the, the, the rich young ruler, and he said, Good teacher, what is it that Jesus said to him? Jesus' response to him said, There is none good but God. How many good people are there? Nah, we're all just lousy. We're at different degrees of lousy, but we're lousy, man. We're lousy. But we got to stop making excuses like, well, I'm better than that guy. Oh, great. 
Wow. <laughs> I guess that elevates us, you know. Well, I'm not as bad as some people. Great. Well, well done. <laughs> I, I just get, I'm a just as bad as everybody. I'm not no better than not a person. I got just the same kind of dumb, evil thoughts running around in my head. If I don't surrender them to the Lord, I would do all the rotten things i ever done in my life. If I was not surrendered to God, if the Lord Jesus Christ was not in my life, I would be just like Saul. And it ain't because of nothing I'd done. It's something he did in me. That's it. We got to be, we want to be men and women after God's own heart. We got to own up and not blame somebody else. Saul doesn't know that. He blames everybody else. Everybody else's fault. It's not his fault. It's everybody else's fault. And he keeps coming to the same excuse, right? We're going to sacrifice him here in Gilgal. We're not going to sacrifice him on Carmel because that's when we were building the big monument to me. But when we get to Gilgal, now we're thinking about sacrificing. Now that Samuel's here busting my chops, we better do some sacrificing. We're not going to be able to keep all these oxen for ourselves. And Samuel said, I love this verse, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Hey, God would rather have us obey him than to make sacrifice. He'd rather have us walk what he wants us to walk in. He's talking about here obeying the voice of God. God gave Saul a very specific commandment. The Lord speaks in our lives much the same way. He wants us to obey his word. He wants us to follow the dictates of his word. He wants us to do that, but he also wants us to obey his voice. That means when God says, I don't want you to take that job, you don't take it. When God says, I don't want you to move, you don't move. When God says, I want you to move, you move, whether you sold your house or not. That when the call came to go to Idaho, my wife and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, there are like three things in my life. I knew that I knew that I knew that God said. I knew when I was supposed to leave the job, striping streets, and, and to, to make myself available to, to, to Bible college. I knew God spoke to me, told me when to do it. I did it. It wasn't easy, but it was good. And when the call came for us to come to Idaho, I know everybody didn't think it was good. It doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks. All that matters is what God tell me. He said, go. Well, Lord, I can only go if you sell my house. Man, my house is in California. So far upside down, it would take like a miracle like parting the Red Sea to sell that thing. God didn't say, just let it go. He said, we trust me. And he took, he's taking care of it all the way through. I'm not going to worry about it, nor am I going to allow that to stop me from doing what God said. God said, go. So I went. And if the Lord would, somewhere down the line, wants that house to pummel me into the ground, so be it. It may not be easy, but it will be good God wants us to obey what he tells us to do and sometimes it doesn't make the best sense but you just do it I have not regretted one second of it and I will not regret one second of it 
I am home. This is where I'm supposed to be. Don't care about none of the other stuff. Don't care about the cost. The Lord said, what man building a tower doesn't consider the cost? I consider the cost and I don't care about it. I care about doing what God wants me to do. Jesus said, no one will lose father, mother, brother, sister, grandchildren without receiving more in this life and the life to come. Maybe not a morning I wake up, I don't think, man, it'd be pretty cool to just be able to drive over to my son's house and say, I'm going to take Addison for the day and go play with her all day. That's part of the price. And I don't regret a second. All the things that were gained to me, I count loss for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus and doing what he wants me to do. And somewhere in it all, it's all going to work out. And I don't have to sweat it. I don't have to sweat it, man. I want to do, I want to be, I want to go where God wants me to go. To obey is better than sacrifice. He goes on, for behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The fat of rams is a part of the sacrifice that goes to God. It's the best part. It's the part God loves the most. He says, I'd rather have your obedience. I'd rather have you say, I'll go where you send me. Who you love, I love. Where you send, I will go. That's what he wants from us. Hey, God, God's got a way of working all that stuff out. Then he tells him, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. We have a way of taking sins and building a hierarchy, right? Well, these are the really bad ones. As long as I stay away from the really bad ones and I do the relatively good sins, it's okay. But the Lord says to disobey me is just like witchcraft. The book of Leviticus says, you will not suffer a witch to live. So now you know how the Lord feels about rebellion. When Korah rebelled against Moses, you remember how that ended? Korah rebelled and said, Moses, why should you lead us? I mean, who really put you in charge? And Moses said, the Lord. Well, we all can talk to the Lord just like you can. Yeah, you can, brother. Well, I think maybe God's chosen me to rule now. Well, okay. Well, let me go before the Lord. So he goes before the Lord. The Lord says, bring everybody together. Bring everybody together. Comes together. And he says, now you guys lay out your rods. And, and the rod that buds is my choice. And Aaron's rod buds. Almond blossoms come out upon his rod. So that's God's choice. And then God said something you don't ever want to hear. He said, everybody get away from Korah. And everybody moved away from Korah and all the 250 people that were in rebellion. And the earth opened up and ate him and closed back up in its place. Proverbs says, There are six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And one of those is a man who sows discord among the brethren. Rebellious spirit going against what God's trying to do. Earth opened up and ate them. It's better to obey. It's better not to rebel against what God wants to do. Not to be stubborn. That word for stubborn, by the way, you want to really grasp a hold of that word, that stubbornness, it means arrogance. 
arrogance. Like I'm so high and mighty in my own sight that I think God could never move me out of the way and continue His work. Let me tell you, when the Lord moves somebody, it's like taking your hand out of a bucket of water. You don't leave a hole behind. God keeps moving. Arrogance like iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you from being king. From that moment, verse 22, 25 years until that process is completed. 25 years for Saul to change. 25 years for Saul to repent. 25 years for Saul to do anything. But he's going to spend that 25 years hunting God's anointed. And God's going to use that 25 years to train the next king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned and I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now this is not a confession. This is an excuse. I was afraid of the people. But that's a man after his own heart. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and come back with me that I might worship the Lord. Now what he's saying is not forgive me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. He's saying, listen, uh, pardon me and come back so the people see you with me. So they they think everything's okay. I don't want them to think you and I are fighting. I mean, Samuel was the man of God. He wants... It's a reputation. How's everybody going to look at him? But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. He's a young boy right now. 16. But he's going to be anointed of the Lord. And he says in verse 29, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Now here Samuel is saying, Saul, I know you think you're the strength of Israel right now, but the strength of Israel is God. Not you. And the same thing is true for any and every nation that will submit itself to the hand of God. The strength is not any of these other things. It's our ability to trust, to rely upon the Lord. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. It's the same thing. Please, before the elders of the people, before Israel, return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Let's go give the people a show so so everything looks okay. Now, I don't know why. Verse 31 says, So Samuel turned back, followed Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Samuel went back with him. But it was not such a good thing for Agag that Samuel went back. Verse 32, Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. He's thinking, Surely the worst is over. I mean, we're good. Now the, now the king spared me. Now the prophet is going to let me go. Yeah, not, not exactly. 
Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Now there's a couple of things that I want to bring out. One, this was not pretty. It was ugly. He hacked him into pieces. That is not a pleasant sight. The second thing I want you to realize is he didn't do it before the people. He didn't do it before Saul. He did it before the Lord. He didn't care how it looked to the people. He didn't care if it upset their stomach. He didn't care if it made them feel uncomfortable. He didn't care how it looked to Saul. He didn't care how Saul received it. He cared about how one person received what he did. And that one person was the Lord. And that's the difference between being a man after God's own heart and not. When we studied the book of Genesis, we we came to the story of Joseph. And a lot of people like to bust on Joseph and give Joseph a bad time because Joseph cared more about what his father thought than he cared about his brothers. I don't give Joseph a bad time. To me, Joseph is an example, a picture of Jesus Christ, who always said what his father gave him to say, did what his father gave him to do. If his brothers weren't doing the things they shouldn't have been doing, Joseph wouldn't have had anything to tell his father. But he cared more how it looked to his father than he cared how it looked to his brothers. A man after God's own heart. How does this look to God? How does my behavior, the things I'm doing, not how does it look to everybody else. How does it look to God? What does God want from me? What is God calling from me, asking of me, and fulfilling that, doing that, doing what God has, has laid upon us to do? And so Samuel, after he finishes, verse 34 says, Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to Gibeah. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, listen, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. How's it end? Samuel spends the rest of his life mourning over Saul, praying for Saul, lifting up Saul. Saul's maybe a great example of the lost cause, but Samuel never stopped. Anybody you think is beyond God's ability to touch? Anybody beyond God's ability to move and work? And Samuel kept lifting him up, kept praying, never quit. Until the day he died, he never went back and saw Saul. You're never going to see really the guidance of the Lord. In fact, Saul's going to be so hungry at one point to hear from the voice of God that he goes to a witch in an attempt to hear from God. I don't ever want to be in a place where I don't hear from the Lord. We have the opportunity, the ability to hear from Him all the time. We just have to make that choice. I'm going to follow the example of a king. I'm going to follow the example of Saul and be a man after my own heart, or I'm going to follow the example of David and be a man after God's. Everybody's going to follow one of them. The choice is up to us, right? Who do you want to follow? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for an opportunity to come before you. Thank you for an opportunity to study your word. God, I pray that that your word would just do that perfect work in our lives, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would never lose sight of the, the willingness, the desire, the, the want to wait upon you. As if the people had waited upon you, they would have had David instead of Saul. Lord, if the people had chose to wait upon you, Abraham would have had Isaac and not Ishmael. God, that we would learn the lesson of just waiting upon the Lord, seeking after you, seeking you first and allowing you to move and you to guide, that we would wait upon the Lord, that we would allow ourselves to just trust you and allow you to lift. And and when we find ourselves in those situations, Lord, that we would make the choice, I'm going to be a man after God's heart. I want to care about what God cares about. I want my heart to break for what breaks God's heart. I want my attitude to follow the Lord's attitude. I don't want to make excuse. And when I sin, and I will sin. When I fail, and I will fail. I want to take responsibility, bring my confessions before the Lord, and receive His forgiveness, and move on. Because I want to care about how things look to Him before I worry about how they look to men. God, we pray that you would move in this place and give us that desire to fulfill that call that you're calling us unto, Lord. That we would desire to follow with a whole heart after you. God, I pray that you would bring us all to that place where we, like Samuel, will cry out unto the Lord all night long. God, I pray that you would do whatever you need to do in our lives in this community, to work that revival, God, that I know you want to pour out. And I pray, God, that we get out of the way and, and, and that we get over the idea that we just ask once and we, we just wait for something to happen. Lord, we seek you. Seek you. Help us to go after you. Our nation needs people who are going after the Lord. Our nation needs a revival because every day people are going, passing into oblivion without Christ. And it's not okay. Now, I cannot be everywhere and solve all problems, but I can do the one thing you asked me to do. Call upon your name while you can be heard. Turn my heart to you and to do what you're calling me to do, my part. God, I pray that we would just have open hearts to allow you to move, to be who you want to be. God, we want to glorify you. We want to honor you. We want to be men and women after God's own heart. And we want to see our community changed to reflect the love of Jesus Christ everywhere we go, wherever we look. And you can do that, Lord. You can do that through people who are willing 
to seek the Lord and allow you to do their, your perfect work in our lives. God, we lift this evening to you and just ask that you would move in a mighty way by your spirit as we submit ourselves unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out tonight with a word of worship. So we invite you to hang out and worship with us. And we'll meet out in the foyer to just have a time of fellowship. God bless you guys. Go in peace. Sacred King, O Holy King, how can I honor you rightly? Honor that's fit your name, O Sacred Friend. Oh, holy friend, I don't take what you did lightly. Friendship instead of disgrace, for it's a mystery of universe. You're the God of holiness, yet you welcome souls like me. And with the blessing of Father's heart, you discipline the ones you love. It's kindness in your majesty. Jesus, those who recognize your power know just how wonderful you are that you draw near. draw near O sacred king O holy king how can I honor you rightly honor that's fit your name Oh, sacred friend, oh, holy friend, I don't take what you did lightly, friendship instead of disgrace, for it's a mystery of universe, you're the God of holiness. Yet you welcome souls like me With the blessing of Father's heart 
Discipline the one you love Scarring us in your majesty Jesus, those who recognize your power Know just how wonderful you are Jesus, those who recognize your power Know just how wonderful you are That you draw near That you draw near That you draw near That you draw near I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe, oh one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul, Lord, do you surrender all I am is yours. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. thank you lord you're teaching us daily lord lord you're speaking to our hearts lord we would love to see you in that day and hear those words from our lord and friend well done welcome into place of your rest lord we just uh, thank you for this time together lord uh May we leave with worship on our lips. Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. you luck, brother. <laughs>